Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I am Dr. Joe Galati, broadcasting from high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us toll-free at 888-438-9431. This is Your Health First, the most beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galati. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galati. Well, a good Sunday evening, everybody. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We're here every Sunday evening between the hour of 7 and 8 p.m., raising your health IQ one listener at a time. That's what we do. We've been here about 17 years, and our goal is to make you better consumers of health care. Our website, drjoegalati.com. drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We can now say you could sign up for our podcast in addition to all the other social media. This past week, we launched a new podcast platform. That may not be on drjoegalati.com yet, but if you go to the Facebook page, you'll get the link and you can follow us there. And if you want to give us a call, 888 Get YHF1, 888-438-9431. Now, on the program this week, it is Stroke Awareness Month. And so we have Dr. Jay Volpe. He's a neurologist at Houston Methodist Hospital here in the Texas Medical Center. We're going to be giving you all insight, tips, things you need to know about stroke. Big killer. And you need to really have the basics as far as awareness and early identification and what you need to do. And the second expert we got tonight, Dr. Jeffrey Ross, he is an MD podiatrist at Baylor College of Medicine. And I want Jeff to talk about, with summer being here pretty much, foot injuries in children. They're going to be running around, playing sports, maybe maybe overdoing it. And we sort of neglect our feet. But we're going to talk about that um, tonight. So stay tuned, everybody. So for segment one tonight, now I know uh, Sally, our news announcer, talked about Game of Thrones I have never, ever seen a single episode of Game of Thrones, and I don't even have an idea of what this show is about. Josh, how about you? Are you... Talk to me. All right. Josh doesn't... So you're not a follower, huh? Yeah. All right. So I'm probably going to be one of these people like three years from now. I'll probably just bulk watch it. Now, the other big sporting event was the PGA Tournament that 
a guy by the name of Brooks Kopka won. Now, the PGA tournament was at Bethpage State Park, the black course. And this is one of those uh, really fabled golf courses in the United States. And I grew up about seven minutes from Bethpage Black. And it's a county course. It's a, it's, it's a state-run course. And at least when I was there as a kid growing up, it cost eight, nine dollars to pay play a round of eighteen. And we would play there and and now there have been several golf championships there and a lot of other people have found out about Beth Page Black, one of the toughest courses in the United States. And as a 14, 15 year old kid, my mother would drop us off there in the morning during the summer. And we'd stay there till four or five o'clock, just hitting around. And then the funny part is, and a friend of mine, Dave Goldberg, I went to high school with Dave. Dave posted something on Facebook. He is still living on Long Island. That is where we would go sleigh riding during the winter. Tremendous hills at Beth Page, especially Beth Page Black. And, and again, you don't fit that together with Marvelous golf course, PGA tournament, U.S. Open has been there, and kids like me sleigh riding, ripping up the course, but they always got it back to look fantastic. So whenever I hear a tournament at Beth Page Black, I really do reminisce about growing up in uh, in New York. All right, so uh, for this segment, what I uh, want to chat about is I uh, came across an article 10 must-follow safety rules for walkers. Now, certainly walking is a great exercise. It really doesn't require a gym membership, no special equipment other than a decent pair of shoes. And when you look at burning calories, about a 30-minute walk will burn about 160 calories. So you want to walk at a pretty good pace so that you can somewhat have a conversation, but not be gaggling the entire time. A little bit winded, but not gasping for air. That would be a good, brisk walk. And these 10 rules really do make sense. The first one is keep your head up. And, you know, people are walking all over the place. And there are construction sites, there are potholes, there are irregularities of the sidewalk. You just have to be careful and not trip. So you want to make sure you're looking about eight to 10 feet ahead and surveying what is in front of you. Number two, be aware of pain. You may be a little tender, a little bit sore, but if you're having significant joint, chest, or head pain, you've got to check in with your doctor to see what the cause is. Walking should not cause these significant problems. The third one is when you are walking, you should be walking facing the traffic. You are walking against the traffic. You have to see what is going on. And I will always walk into the traffic on the sidewalk, so the opposite direction. You have to see what's going on and be aware of any oncoming traffic or, uh, you know, people that are swerving, you want to be able to get out of the way and stay safe. 
Number four is dress to be seen. So if it's during the day, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be visible to drivers and other people that are out there. But if it's getting later in the day or certainly in the evening, you want to wear bright clothing. A lot of people will wear a reflective vest, carry a flashlight, something out there to make you seen to traffic, other people that are walking or running, people on bicycles, skateboards, anything. You really want to be seen when you're out there. The next part, this is number five, walk defensively. And I would say this is true because when you are crossing an intersection, even if it's in your neighborhood and you're going through a stop sign and you say, well, this guy has stopped. Of course he knows I'm in the crosswalk. I'm telling you, you have to, with purpose, get that eye contact, swing your arms, yell, hey, thank you for stopping. You can't be so nonchalant when you're walking. You will get into trouble. Let's see what else we got here. Number six, uh, steer clear. And what they mean by this is, if your path is major intersections, major entrance or exits to a department store or shopping center, you want to stay away from there. Number four is keep your uh, ears open. And most experts would say, do not walk or run with earbuds. Lastly, carry ID. Number nine, prepare for self-defense. You got to really, you know, maybe carry pepper spray depending on the neighborhood. And then number 10, always It'd be a great idea if you could bring a partner to work out with. All right, that is it for segment one. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. Coming up is Dr. Volpe. We're going to be talking about Stroke Awareness Month. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. So for segment two tonight, one statistic. Every 40 seconds, somebody in, in the United States suffers a stroke. And for the month of May, it is Stroke Awareness Month. And I'm happy to have on the phone... Dr. Jay Volpe, Associate Professor of Clinical Neurology at Houston Methodist and Will Cornell Medical College. Let's see. Jay, you on the phone? Yeah, happy oh. to be here, Joe. You know, there's so many buttons here. I mispress them from time to time. Well, thanks very much for coming on tonight. And whenever we have such a major disease, such as stroke, and it's declared Stroke Awareness Month, I, I really do feel obligated to get an expert like you on the air with us tonight. So, you know, the first thing, Jay, is for everybody listening, the, uh, you know, the numbers are staggering with regard to stroke and how many strokes are experienced and how many people die from stroke. So why don't you share some of those basic numbers with us? Sure. It is a, it is a staggering disease. Um, about 800,000 people in the U S suffer from stroke every year. Yeah. Um, of those, about one in five of those patients, it's their second or more or third or fourth stroke. Mm-hmm. And among those, about one in six are having a bleeding stroke, which is 
even more devastating than the common form of ischemic stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a, and that those are those are big numbers. But what about just this one? Number one, it's the number one cause of disability in the United States. And it's been the number one cause of disability as long as they've been tracking those things. Yeah, you know, when you look at that and you talk about disability, and not not in any way to sound harsh, but this is a disease that certainly takes a lot of people's lives. But the ones that do not die from it, they are left, as you, as you said, disabled, dysfunctional. And, and the impact on themselves or their family and caretakers and the cost is, is so far more devastating. It really is a, a huge public health problem. Exactly. I mean, most all of us have someone in our family or friends who've had a stroke, and it, doesn't just, it is, certainly impacts the patient the most, but it impacts everyone around them. Uh, like you said, the economic impact, but the, the loss of quality of life as you know, I talk to my patients who are a little bit older. They're not really afraid of dying. I mean, we all realize that's going to happen someday, mm-hmm. but they're all very afraid of a stroke, and, and they just want to know everything they can do to prevent a stroke. Right. And the other, uh, you know, we were talking about the price tag. It's in some of the reports are about $34 billion annually for uh, all the costs and the care. And, and so uh, this is yet another very expensive public health problem that uh, that you certainly face every day. Now, you know, the main thing is, yes, these are the numbers, but you and I and so many uh, of our colleagues work to reverse this. We, you know, none of us are happy with these numbers, but everybody needs to know their risk factors that may put them at stroke risk. And then, uh, you know, what can be done to prevent it or lessen the likelihood? So, you know, where are we with that? Yeah. So I'd say the three things everyone should know is blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure. Right. And I know that's, but that is the number one risk of stroke, both kinds of stroke. And that is uh, the one thing that every patient should know, track, keep up with, and and report back to their uh, physician for adjustments, keep their blood pressure under control. And that alone goes so far. Of course, uh, no one should be smoking right now. We all know the, the dangers of smoking. That's a major contributor high cholesterol, as with all vascular disease, stroke is a vascular disease, uh, that contributes. And then patients who have certain heart conditions, uh, the one that we often think of as atrial fibrillation, which uh-huh. is an irregular heartbeat, that increases their risk of stroke fivefold. So recognizing that uh, something's wrong with their heartbeat, getting it checked out and getting treated is a major impact on reducing their risk. Yeah, now, We should uh, forget diabetes. Oh, Right. Yeah, I, I mean, actually, absolutely. Now, you know, with we're getting back to the high blood pressure story, do you find that a lot of patients are still under the uh, the notion that, hey, you know, Doctor Volpe, I I've got high blood pressure, but I feel okay, I don't have any symptoms, and uh, you know, I'm just fixing my diet, and I should be okay. There is this sense that, you know, where patients will. Uh, tolerate a certain degree of hypertension and not really take it seriously. Yeah, and I mean, decades ago there was that health campaign, the silent killer. Right, and that's so true. Is that most people don't feel blood pressure when it's somewhat elevated. If it gets very high, they'll have headaches and those other symptoms. But for the for the most part, I, I think whether it's the patient or the doctor or the, the them working together, the the battle is won or lost at the borderline. You know, if you're not below the border 
you're above the border. Right. And you've got to keep that blood pressure down and, and keep it at the goal that your your physician says is appropriate for you. Yeah. Now, equally important, whenever we talk about stroke is uh, early intervention. That That is the key. And knowing the the early warning signs of having a stroke. What what are they? Well, there's there's all different ones out there, but my favorite is FAST. F A S T. Uh, F is for face. If there's a droop or something wrong with someone's face, it seems twisted. Uh, a is for arm. If someone has difficulty lifting one arm uh-huh. when asked to hold them up, and then speech. If it's slurred or doesn't seem right. Uh, those are the symptoms. And then the T is for time. Don't waste time. Uh, probably the most common mistake people make is they ask the patient, the person who, who seems to be having the symptoms, should we go to the hospital? You can never trust someone who's having a stroke. You have to act on their behalf. Yeah. I mean, 99% of the time they're going to, no, 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 give me a few more hours. Let me yeah, see. But yeah, uh, of course, wrong, right? time is of the essence. Now, in the last minute or two here, uh, what is some of the new research, new technology that you could share with everybody tonight as far as what's happening in in the world of stroke? Sure. Well, we've uh, made some major advancements with catheters, taking clots out, not Mm -hmm. just using drugs like liquid plumber, but now Rotor-Rooter actually getting clots out. Uh, We're doing studies on stem cells, the really anti-inflammatory effects of stem cells in the very early phase, the first day, but even up to day 10 Mm -hmm. at our our facility. Wow. And you know, I think that we forget sometimes the importance of lifestyle interventions. The research is coming out very strong that things like exercise is, is as good or better than so many medications we use and sleep. Those good country doctor advice remains so important right. and to keep up with all that. Yeah, no, I would I would agree. Sometimes it's the simplest things that make the biggest change, eating right and uh, watching your weight. Because when you look at it, if you eat right, don't smoke. Uh, exercise and lose weight, that's going to drop your blood pressure. And as you said, uh, probably the number one, two, three, four, and five risk factor is is high blood pressure. And we have to take it real seriously. All right, Dr. Volpe, it's always great having you on. We'll get you on again. There is so much to talk about in this area. All right? My pleasure. All right, Jay. All right, thanks a million. That was Dr. Jay Volpe with... Houston Methodist Hospital here in the Houston, Texas Medical Center. I'm Dr. Joe Galati for segment three. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite vegetables, asparagus. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati. Segment three. And we're going to be talking about asparagus. How can we have a conversation about health and wellness and disease prevention? We were talking about stroke a few minutes ago with Dr. Volpe and not talk about nutrition. And as he had stated, we we really have forgotten about these very, very, very important lifestyle changes. And patients will say to me nearly every day when we talk about, now uh, I deal with patients with liver disease, digestive disorders, and they are saying or asking, 
hey, do you need to do another colonoscopy on me? And I'm like, no, it is not appropriate. Well, how about a pill? Should I double the medicine I'm on? And so people have this pill mentality, and I talk about it in my book, Eating Yourself Sick, that we have to get away from there's a procedure, a new medication, something high-tech, rather than, no, you need to exercise more. You need to lose weight. Eating well will either prevent you from getting diabetes or better control your diabetes, lower your blood pressure, and lower the risk of all of these horrible things that happen. So we have to continue to harp on this. And I say harp not in a hard way, but in a way to have conversation with our patients and for our patients to talk to their families and relatives and for all of us to speak with other healthcare providers. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. drjogalati.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. The new podcast platform, if you go to the Facebook page now, it's there. We're going to be updating the web page within the next few days to get that up there. But also, if you go to drjogalati.com now, you can download a free copy of an uh, audiobook chapter of Eating Yourself Sick. Sort of test drive it if you like the book or not, and then you could pick it up. But uh, all right, let us, and, and by the way, don't forget, segment four, we got Dr. Jeffrey Ross talking about foot injuries in children with the summer coming up. That's going to be, Dr. Dr. Ross is uh, not only one of my favorite clinicians, but he is a great guest and expert on uh, your health first here. All right, let's talk about asparagus. Now, the asparagus is one of those vegetables that, sort of falls into that second or third tier. When I talk to patients, they've got the carrots down. They have the broccoli down. They've got the string beans down. But when you start asking about Brussels sprouts, asparagus, maybe even zucchini, let alone eggplant, you lose them. They get this glazed over look in their eyes. Asparagus. What the hell do I do with asparagus? But it is, first of all, so, so nutritious. And for anybody that is watching their weight, watching their blood sugar and their blood pressure, asparagus is one of the foods that has the lowest glycemic index anywhere. And to be um, exact here for you, well... It's 40 calories in a cup. That is pretty low cal. And it's very low on the glycemic index. The glycemic index of a food, any kind of a food, be it a snicker bar or a piece of asparagus, is an index of how high and quickly it's going to raise your blood sugar. And so you want foods with a a low glycemic index so that you do not get these spikes in blood sugar and spikes in insulin, which really plays havoc on your metabolism. And so the word for tonight is glycemic index. 
Think about it. All right. So 10 reasons why you should eat more asparagus. Okay. Uh, as I said, it'll, it'll help you lose weight. So a serving, a cup really, is between 32 to 40 calories, a lot of soluble and insoluble fiber. It's going to make you feel full. Number two, it may keep your urine, urinary tract happy. It sort of is a natural diuretic. And if anybody eats asparagus, they know that their urine stinks to high heaven afterwards. I look at that to say, you know what? This stuff is going through me. It's coming out. It's got to be doing something good to my urine. Uh, number three, it's full of antioxidants, especially the purple asparagus. People, listeners, do not be afraid to experiment and pick up some purple asparagus. It's not bad. That has the highest of the high antioxidant uh, properties. Now, one key, don't overcook your asparagus. If you overcook it, especially if you overboil it, if you are boiling it, a lot of the antioxidant properties are leached out in the water. Uh, number four, it contains vitamin E. That's an important vitamin. Uh, it may help you get in the mood. It's a natural aphrodisiac. My goodness, Dr. Galati talking about sex. Who needs uh, Viagra, right? Just have some asparagus tonight. Uh, it can ease a hangover. That one I've never heard before. A 2009 study published in Journal of Food Science conducted a laboratory-grown cells suggest that the minerals and amino acids in asparagus, blah, 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 blah. Okay. You, hopefully you don't get to a point where you're hungover and say, man, give me some asparagus. Okay, it beats bloating uh, with a high fiber. It helps with the intestinal microbiome, the bacteria in the gut. So that is good. It is rich in folic acid, a B vitamin. It's filled with vitamin K, just like all the other green leafy vegetables. It's good for your clotting. And lastly, it boosts your mood. Folate is a B vitamin that can lift your spirits and help ward off irritability. That's why so many people are nasty out there. They're not getting enough B vitamins and not eating enough fresh vegetables. So that is it on asparagus. A few other points. Uh, as I said, be careful not to overcook it. And, you know, there's so many ways that you could add asparagus into your diet. Certainly you can... My wife likes them roasted in the oven, a little bit of olive oil, a little salt, pepper, garlic powder, um, probably about 350 for about 15, 20 minutes. The other is you could steam them. You could saute them. You could chop them up. Now, the interesting thing is you could have it certainly as a side. You could cook them and throw them into a cold salad. They're very good cold or room temperature. The other thing is if you enjoy pasta. And you have a little portion of pasta and some tomato sauce, hopefully homemade potato, uh, uh, tomato sauce. You could add in some asparagus, make it crunchy, give you more fiber, fill you up. And the last thing, which I actually have not seen, is asparagus pesto. Now, I am, oh, I love pesto with basil. But now I have a recipe here for asparagus pesto with pasta. I am going to have to try to uh, 
make this later in the week and let everybody know. But again, be creative, have fun. All right. Coming up next, Dr. Jeffrey Ross, one of my favorite people. We're going to be talking about foot problems in the youth with it being summer around the corner. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget drjogalati.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Final segment of this week's program, Your Health First. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We've talked a lot this week about diet, stroke, cooking, and we're going to finalize things tonight with Dr. Jeffrey Ross. Dr. Ross is Associate Professor of Surgery, Division of Vascular Surgery and Endovascular Therapy at Baylor College of Medicine. Jeff, welcome to the program tonight. Nice to be with you, Dr. Galati. How are you this evening? I am great. I appreciate you coming on tonight. And, sure. you know, certainly uh, as a physician and a podiatrist and somebody that is uh, worried about the health and wellness of our lower extremities, um, I worry sometimes about the children, the, the young people that are out there. Summer is coming up. And... Uh, Enough attention, especially, you know, for the parents or grandparents that are going to be with these kids over the summer, paying attention to their feet and, and how they're functioning and the pain they may have. So for everybody listening tonight, what is that message you want to get out there? Well, I think the, probably the most important issue is shoe fitting, proper shoe fitting uh, for children who are obviously exercising or very active. Uh, if you're not going to fit those children properly, uh, they're going to be subject to overuse problems such uh -huh. as ingrown toenails, uh, shoes that probably don't support their feet properly, right. uh, kids who wear thongs all the time, flip-flops, where they should be wearing shoes if they're excessive pronators or flat-footed individuals. But Joe, here's the thing for summer that I really want to emphasize the most. Sure. Kids who walk around barefooted, it's a license for disaster. Uh, if you're going to be down at the beach, these kids are really, you know, walking on the beach and they can step on anything. But if they're around the house or in the garage and they step on anything that could be glass or any foreign body, they're going to get into trouble. Uh, so we tell, you know, the parents, be careful. I mean, make sure these kids are wearing something to protect their feet. I know kids like to go barefooted, but if they're going to be out and about on the street or in the garage or in the sidewalk, they're at risk for developing some type of foreign body injury. Yeah, and, and these things are not going to be uh, innocuous. This this many times could lead to uh, yep. a nasty infection and really screw up their entire summer. Yeah, uh, a foreign body, uh, as we say, could be a needle in a haystack. It may not be easy to take out. Right. They may have to go first to the emergency room, and if they can't get it out right away, we'll have to take them to surgery and under fluoroscopy, try to fish it out, and it's not going to be that easy a chore. And these kids develop infections, cellulitis, uh, and it can be a real major problem. Getting yeah. back to the shoes for a minute. Right. So now we have the ingrown toenails that can develop because of shoes that are improperly fitted. Uh, if the shoes haven't been changed 
or if the shoes get wet or due to perspiration, we're looking at uh, tinea pedis or fungal athlete foot infections mm-hmm. that can develop into onychomycosis or infections of the nails. So skin infections are common. Warts, another thing that kids develop quite often mm-hmm. are viruses because they go around barefooted and the shoes may develop a virus also. Viruses can be picked up in the shower or at health clubs or any areas, uh, even at school for that matter. You know, you know one, one thing here, you got me thinking here about, you know, fungus, you know, uh, athlete's foot and things like that. Um, do, do you think that when, you know, the summer comes and, and parents have a little bit more time with their kids or the kids have more time, you know, do you think parents need to be clued in and say, okay, it's Sunday night, everybody take your socks off uh-huh. and sort of like look at their feet to see, are they cracked? Are they red? Are they yeah. itchy? Uh, is that a being, a, you know, are we, have we just grossed out everybody in Houston radio talking about that? Or is that, you know, something that should be considered? I think it's a great suggestion because number one, we're in the Gulf coast region. So come summertime, it's hot, it's humid. Kids are perspiring as well as adults. Right. And so this, you know, this statement could be just not only for kids, but could be for adults too. Take your shoes off, take your socks off, parents, inspect your kids' feet, look for the ingrown toenails, look to see if the toes are red, swollen, look between the toes, see if there's any cracks right. or fissures, look for any islands or areas where the skin looks like it's peeling, which could be a first telltale sign of an athlete's foot. But, Joe, since we're on the topic, let me shift gears just for a second. Sure. Particularly with our teenage athletes. I've worked with high school football uh, in all kinds of sports, both in high school and college. Mm-hmm. And in the locker room is the big secret, and it's called MRSA, which oh, yeah. I know you're familiar with. And if they're sharing towels or, let's face it, in the, uh, in the hot tubs or if they're sharing any other types of foot gear or whatever – and obviously in the shower, MRSA is everywhere. And it's, all it takes is one little cut, one little fissure to spread that infection from one player to another. So that's something that kids need to be aware of in the locker rooms at schools. And that is cleanliness, hygiene is very, very important. The trainers know this. They have signs all over the locker rooms about beware of MRSA. So just another thought, you know, for a suggestion here. Oh, actually, you know, most people think more of the traditional soft tissue in your arm, your upper leg, but in your feet and toes, I'm sure it's fair game there as well. Yep. Uh, MRSA is everywhere, and, you know, you can have one little blister, one little infection, and it can spread very, very easily. So speaking of our kids, just to shift gears again, we've got our diabetic population. And right. by the way... As you have mentioned before, many, many times, we have an obesity crisis in this state. Right. And I served on the Texas Diabetes Council, uh, the Obesity Task Force. I was chair of the Governor's Fitness Council and on the State Board of Health. And I dealt with obesity, Mm -hmm. and I dealt with the rising, rising numbers of young teenage diabetics, type 2s, because of obesity. So what we're dealing with is both an obesity crisis a type 2 diabetes epidemic, and these kids are at risk because many of them, with their blood sugars elevated uh, and being immunosuppressed, they're at high risk for infections. So it doesn't take very much for, a uh, again, a bite, a spider bite or an insect bite or a tinea pedis or a crack or a fissure or an ingrown toenail 
for a young diabetic to really blossom and get out of hand. No, you're, you're exactly right. And so many times we have talked here about the, the diseases that these young kids are getting, the diabetes, mm-hmm. the hypertension, uh, they are mm-hmm. then getting the complications of diabetes that, you know, grandma used to get, but they are um, so, and they're, like you said, they're, they're immunosuppressed, their immune system is not working and more prone to infections and not healing, that uh, uh, it, you know, you must just be um, uh, overwhelmed with what you're seeing. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember when I went back and did that GI rotation with Bill Klish. Right. And you remember Bill from Texas Children's. Yes. And he was dealing with your area of expertise, and that was steatohepatitis right. uh, and NASH, basically. Uh, and the problems that we're seeing with kids with liver problems at a young age, it's unheard of. But we're dealing now with younger and younger populations of diabetics in our vascular you know, department, our surgery department, right. who have poor circulation, who are developing really bad ulcers that don't heal, and then eventually are undergoing you know, partial amputations. Right, it's horrible. In, in some cases... Uh, four-foot amputations, and in some cases, even below knee, which we're trying to prevent. Yeah. We have a great track record at what we're doing in our department of saving limbs, but why should a young person have to deal with a life-threatening situation of type 2 diabetes, like you said, hypertension, being on dialysis, and then worrying about vascular situations and compromise, which then can lead to amputation? I mean, no. it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and, and you know, as as you and I always talk when we finish up these these interviews like this, it's like we got to get Dr. Ross back. There's just so much to talk about and so pertinent. So, um, you know, I would say if there was only one take home tonight, Jeff, it would be check your kids' yep. feet tonight, and well, that I you, think is what we're going to end on tonight. You know, and I know that all internists and endocrinologists and family practice docs are really, really schooled in the lesson of take your shoes off and your socks off during your physical exam and inspect your feet. So the same with parents checking the kids' feet as well, and I think that is the take-home message. All right. Dr. Jeffrey Ross with Baylor College. Like I said earlier, you're one of my favorite guests on the program. We will see you again soon, all right? Thanks, Joe. All right. Pleasure. Absolutely. Take care. All right. All right. Well, that is it for tonight. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com. Check out our new podcast platform on Facebook. We will be here next Sunday night. Everybody go home, take your socks off, look at your feet. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.